0: People, I hope you are all doing well, and I'm glad, appreciative, thankful, all of those things that you're tuning into the Strange Tonic Podcast. We are happy, proud to feature our friends Pan Astral on our podcast. Their music is fantastic, sensational, whatever you want to say about it. They are playing a very special benefit concert at Globe Hall in Denver on June 1st, featuring friends of theirs, Lotus, and the just, I think, at least nationally famous Flowbots. So go there, check him out, you'll be happy you did. And as always, check out Panastral on iTunes, Astral on Bandcamp, Panastral on SoundCloud, and Panastral at panastral.com for more information on that show, on their music, on everything Astral, Do it, do it, do it. On this episode, I am sort of all over the place. Michelle does her best to keep me kind of uh, on point. And I just want to say that, if nothing else, listen to the last about 10 minutes of this conversation, because Michelle discusses the great work, and she, and she discusses it in a great way, The great work that the Equal Justice Initiative, under the leadership of Brian Stevenson, is doing, and even just editing this podcast tonight, I was blown away. So please check that out. Um, If nothing else, it's great. Michelle does great, 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 great work on this podcast, even if I am all over the place. So thank you for that, Michelle. Thank you for listening to this. Uh, Keep tuning in because we're dropping a new episode, hopefully uh, later this week, I'm hoping Friday morning before I head to LA, and as always, please enjoy, please take care of yourself, and thank you. listen to something that's going to stimulate me because I can't look at the news or anything because I've just yeah. been spreadsheet, 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 spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so I've been just like finding her podcast I can, including, and I'm not going to say her name because I will butcher it, but the podcast that you recommended, which is absolutely excellent to the point where I listened to it again with Did Julia you? when we were driving to uh, to and from dinner last night. Yeah, it, it, I I will
1: I will say her name because I've I've followed her for a while okay. and I've practiced I've practiced it. It's uh, the podcast from New York Times journalist Rukmini Kalamaki, and it's called Caliphate.
0: The second most popular podcast I think recently mm-hmm. on iTunes. It dropped
1: save. this last week. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first episode came out last week, so it is new to the charts on iTunes for sure. But it's it's quite good so far.
0: Yes. (laughs) As I texted you, I was like, wait, there's not more? (laughs) Julia had the same response where she was like, I have to wait another week. (laughs) like, yep.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) I've been aware of uh, Anna Marie Cox podcast for a while uh, with friends like these. Because, you know, me always wanting to, like, engage with the other side and someone who's sane, I guess you could say, uh, on mm-hmm. the right. I'm like, oh, she she gets that. Plus, you know, she just gets, like, actual people who are, you know, they're... Whatever they focus on, like, within even progressive movement. So it's like someone who just does criminal justice reform or somebody that is a uh, anti-poverty activist, but is, you know, does it in, in a church. Like, oh, these are really cool to hear from. Mm-hmm. But... On her uh, second season, which I've been listening to, she went to CPAC. And it was pretty cool. So she's, like, not – she's just talking with people and, like, interviewing people, young people at CPAC. And just – she doesn't really argue with them. She will sort of push back occasionally and go, well, what about this? And I should mention, too, that uh, that podcast is a part of the Crooked Media Group. So mm-hmm. go there because there's plenty of good stuff. Yes, it is. Um she plays a bit of our friend Ben Shapiro, Shapiro, whatever, where he is both complaining about people like calling him and others like him racist, xenophobic, or whatever for espousing facts and truth without citing any facts or truth. But then complaining about the left for being overly sensitive to those same facts or truth, do you not hear to yourself like you're complaining about being offended for people calling you out because apparently mm-hmm. it's, it's the worst thing in the world to be called a racist or racially insensitive. Um, but then you should be allowed to say whenever you want. And if anyone else gets offended, they're the ones that are the problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah.
0: But, you know, what yeah. should we expect from somebody who sells mugs that say liberal tears on them?
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I caught up on uh, John Oliver recently. I and, have not. Uh, <laughs> My
0: friend is texted me. He's like, did you watch last night? I was like, was busy. sorry.
1: Well, I, I didn't see this week's episode because I have to watch the... Uh, the YouTube version. I don't have HBO, so I have to wait until somebody uploads it. Um, I gave you my but... password.
0: <clears throat>
1: <laughs> All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll chat about that. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, there was uh, one episode he did I, within the last month or two, and it was about the NRA uh, propaganda videos. <laughs> yes, and I can't, I think it was. I think it was the guy in the video for the NRA, not John Oliver's mockery of it. Um yeah, they but do he, the was themselves. <laughs> he was wearing a t shirt that said liberal tears as he like smashed a television with a <laughs> sledgehammer and the, the TV was showing like a I don't know, some some type of democratic like political ad. I don't I don't remember specifically, but I just remember his t shirt saying liberal tears. I was like, Oh, I kinda want one of those shirts actually. Just
0: <laughs> wear it ironically.
1: Uh, ironically, I really want one of those shirts. <laughs> So I was a liberal have cried many tears <laughs> over the last couple of years.
0: <laughs> but you know, um, since irony is dead, because obviously uh, <laughs> when your entire political position is outrage and victimhood,
1: mm-hmm. yet
0: you celebrate liberals crying. It's like,
1: d- um, we should circle back a little bit
0: <laughs> because I
1: want, I want to hear you talk more about, um, Rukmini Kalamaki.
0: Uh, I don't know if I, I mean, I have too much about, I mean, I think people should just listen to that podcast as opposed to like me breaking it down. But I did. Well,
1: just, a, just give a quick summary of like what she does. and she Or I could do it. I mean, I, I don't, I, if I, you
0: would, because you know more about it than I do. <laughs> like this would be sort of me like half-assing a summary that I sort of got... <laughs> While uh, sourcing various tools for a customer. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So she, she is unique in the sense um, that she, she really tries to, you know, we were talking briefly there about opposing sides Mm -hmm. and her, her, group of opposition people that she tries to speak with and understand are members and former members of isis
0: who want to Uh, kill her
1: who want to kill her sometimes but not always which makes it even more intriguing
0: but they do actively revel in the thought of her death
1: yes and she's been covering isis since the inception of them you know a few years back and i mean she she is somehow able to get these terrorists who are often in hiding, or former members of ISIS, again, often in hiding, to t- talk with her, which is not something many Western journalists can do. Um, but she is often traveling over into Syria, kind of on the front lines, um, just trying to understand what is it about ISIS that makes people want to join it? And what is it about these people that make them want to join a terrorist organization? And so her new podcast, Caliphate, um, is a week by week kind of episodic um, series that's just started and it, it kind of gives the public more insight into how her job works and how it affects her personal life and um, some of the people that she is able to confront and speak with. And it, it gives kind of a different perspective on the, the war on terror such as it is now.
0: Yes, I mean, in this first episode, she comes across someone she's going to interview because he had posted something on Instagram, and later the guy says he thought it was private and was kind of confused as to how she found it. It's it's incredible. <laughs> like, if it weren't so serious, it would sound like a joke that, oh, I saw you posted this on Instagram. Let's talk about ISIS. Huh? <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. Um, And she I I heard about her just over the last couple of years from listening to other shows, because anytime there is a terrorist, major terrorist attack, and uh, oftentimes the immediate suspicion is that it's an Islamic group behind it here in the States or Europe. Uh, She's often the go to reporter that people will call up to to have as a guest on their show. Um, So she's She's considered, like, the foremost um, uh, reporter and researcher on ISIS and uh, how they operate around the world.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good podcast. We uh-huh. went to see Cecile Richards speak when she was in town a couple weeks ago.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and who's Cecile Richards?
0: She is currently the uh, president of – I'm going to actually the organization wrong as far as, like, the technical term. But uh, Planned Parenthood of America.
1: Generally, yes. Yes.
0: Um, and the daughter of former Texas governor Ann Richards. Moderator slash interviewer, maybe MC of the event was Lindy West, who is a Seattle-based writer who writes in the New York Times. Also is the author of Shrill, which mm. I have on my bookshelf, but I'm like eight books. Bu- no, nah, I'm more than that. That's That's a lie. I have more books behind than I know what to, like, count at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a frequent guest for when they visit the Seattle area of uh, Love It or Leave It. One of the things that Lundy West asked see Richards was kind of, you know, how do you approach, you know, knowing that there are many people who are ardently anti-abortion and because they honestly in their hearts believe that you know Planned Parenthood is all about just simply aborting babies and that they think that they're defending the unborn and stuff like that you know how do you do you worry about not reaching out to them do you worry about you know people misunderstanding you and I her response which again this is going to be verbatim was basically she can't worry about that her like position is they are there you know at Planned Parenthood to protect women's health and to look out and advocate for women's health and well-being so mm-hmm. really all they can do is put facts out there and what they're trying to do and hope that people hear that as opposed to hearing the kind of self-serving political nonsense that comes from generally the uh not generally, almost exclusively from the men who are uh, in the Republican Party or running Christian conservative organizations who, as she points out, are really only – that's not – that's not fair because um, she didn't say that, but saying that for the most part they're using abortion as a way to consolidate political power and not so much – that they're maybe against it or whatever. It's just that they view it as a way, you know, as a means to keep power or exert power. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was just really cool because like, I've been thinking about that myself where it's, okay, because it, there seems to be this problem with, with that in Democratic parts. Well, how do we reach out to the Trump voter without this idea that they're, as we said before, that you know, we need to have these safaris in the Trump land as if they're like these the species we don't understand like right. don't dumb it down just go all right well this is what we're doing and we're trying to help and if you want to listen you can listen if not I, I can't really help that as opposed to being antagonistic like and just calling them stupid hers is now another book that in Cecile Richards that is uh, <laughs> in my long to-do list here it was it was a cool function I mean my only real complaint was people were so just excited about what she was saying that they were clapping and cheering too much, like while she was making a point. Like,
1: oh, like shut up! <laughs> <laughs> trying to hear her. And
0: I'm there not were happy, but shut up. <laughs> there were five protesters outside. Five, oh. and four of them had professionally made signs. <laughs> When I was a freshman at uh, UNC, when the Westboro Baptist came to speak there, there were a ton of protesters and counter protesters. So like I was thinking hmm. like, yeah, like there's going to be no. There were five of them, and oh. they were waving like they they weren't screaming or anything. It was just waving at you and holding signs oh, that said like I think it was pray for Planned Parenthood or something something like that. Just like oh, okay. Oh. Like, okay. Pretty pretty innocuous. You're like, okay, whatever.
1: Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Do you think there were fewer protesters just just because of the the locale, like the geography of it? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, not just because it was in Seattle, but Uh-huh. It was in an air like a neighborhood of Seattle, which like Julie and I while driving there, and I was just sitting in the like, passenger seat, Julie was kind enough to drive, like, was just aggravating for me as a passenger to get there. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, damn it. <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just, I mean, uh, just thinking about Planned Parenthood and because I live in Colorado, and I'm sure a lot of people have this, too. But I hear Planned Parenthood and I think about the shooting that happened there down in Colorado oh, Springs. Yeah. And so... Her, her coming to speak in Colorado Springs,
0: mm-hmm. there would be
1: many, many, many protesters there, as opposed to, like, five, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was just the five, and I'm sure there were more of them there, but there was definitely uh, at least one police detail that was very obvious throughout the entire uh, session.
1: Any hecklers, like, inside?
0: Um, There were... A few women that I saw wearing like shirts, okay, and they never got. But up. no
1: one threw a shoe at her or Mm-mm. screamed and got dragged out.
0: And like that. the extent of security seemed to be just a well, let's like a university student because it was held at the University of Washington. Uh-huh. A university student just looking through people's bags, like I. Oh, okay. Like I didn't get anybody like patting me down or anything i just walked in you know they hand me the book because i showed them my name on my phone and they looked through julia's purse and we went right in and that was it
1: yeah yeah it's like standard procedure for most events anymore so it should be yeah
0: maybe less than that but again you know yeah no clear backpacks
1: Well, everybody loves the clear backpack, So, like, oh, this I'm doesn't surprised. miss the point
0: or anything. <laughs> if you like Seattle, you should definitely follow her on Instagram because she just posts all these great pictures of her taking the ferry to and from. I think she lives on like a, an island around here, to and from downtown. Like Seattle. Grey's
1: Anatomy style. <laughs> Maybe
0: I don't know. I've never watched that show, uh, but uh, <laughs> damn it, Noel. <laughs> well, it I know my, my reference. Uh, <laughs> My sister, the first time she came out here, was like, let's go to Bainbridge because she read about it in a book. I don't know if she lives out Uh there or not. But um, then she posts a lot of great pictures. And and she posted something about, like, oh, like, her book's coming out. I was like, hmm. So I just, like, Googled, like, Cecile Richards book tour. Oh, she's going to be in town. It was, like, within, like, a few days. I'm like, oh, okay, buy tickets. Please. Buy tickets.
1: (laughs) Buy now. Thank you. (laughs) That's cool. That's good.
0: Which I was like, I need to find more of that stuff that's happening. I felt bad yeah. though, because then I saw Lindy West was like, I've got a show like a week from now. I'm like, I can't make it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: there was um, something like that popped up on Facebook for me today. Since I live in Longmont, beautiful Longmont, Colorado, also called Schlongmont on ninety nine point nine. But really? anyways,
0: uh, <laughs> I'm glad I... or
1: bon- It's either Schlongmont or Bongmont. I don't know. For me, Longmont's more fun to say. Uh, but something popped up on Facebook, and it said that this upcoming weekend is a film festival in Longmont, and it's Longmont's quote-unquote biggest film festival. And so my first thought is, holy shit, uh, there's more than one? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? There's less than 100,000 people in the city. We have film festivals, <laughs> plural? What? <So>, Festivide.
0: <laughs> <I>, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like oh okay <laughs> interesting
0: it is that hearing just schlongmont or bongmont <laughs> makes me glad that i essentially stopped listening to anything that was not npr in colorado probably oh my
1: god i back know back like
0: 20 you know, actually 2006 is probably the last time i like all right, this is yeah. Stupid. I
1: was like, dude, you're probably working at borders. So
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's that's basically when I quit listening to the radio. Like, Bongmont and Schlongmont, those are old jokes now. So,
0: <laughs> like, what can we do with it? Oh, Schlongmont, yeah. Yeah. Oh, four twenty, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the, it's so not a big deal in Colorado anymore, no. Like, I on that day, four twenty, I was working and i had a patient say oh so do you have to work all day and i was like yeah like, oh you're not going to go to the rally and i literally what, said what rally what rally <laughs> and they're like it's 420 come on i'm like oh i kind of forgot like it's just oh, cool. whatever <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, you know i've never been into it i'm not going to start now <laughs> it was like totally off my radar <laughs> And people have said that the last couple of years since legalization, the rally is not nearly as fun, because what's the point if it's legal anyways? So, I don't know.
0: Which uh, Colorado. Who knows how long that'll last with uh, Mr. State's Rights at the helm here, uh, Jeff Sessions.
1: There are two types of crime. (laughs) (laughs) Regular and black.
0: (laughs) He's not racist because he didn't say the N-word, like... No, that's oh, that's not how this oh, works. Is
1: that the only qualifier? As long as you don't say the N-word. It's not racist.
0: That's why they call <laughs> it coded language. Oh, I yes. see. Yes.
1: Okay. Oh, okay, I get it. I get it.
0: Oh, yeah. And just because I want to mention it, going back to the Cecile Richards thing and Planned Parenthood and abortion and all that, uh, this must have been, I think, last fall. David Axelrod and his podcast talked to the wonderful... Uh, thoughtful, and I don't know why he's still on television. Rick Santorum, <laughs> and if you've listened to David Axelrod's podcast, he does a really good job of not being combative. Like he oh. he'll, he'll he even when he pushes back, which is rare, because he just wants the person to state why they believe something. He's mm-hmm. he's rarely judgmental. He's just kind of like, but he'll occasionally go, well, "Why didn't you say it in that way before?" Mm -hmm. And he's sort of calling out Santorum on being a bomb thrower, which was, well, now is really much a thing. Like, I think you probably can't run for president unless you have a, as as far as a Republican, unless you have a thorough track record of being a Republican bomb thrower. Like, the fact that Newt Gingrich is still listened (sighs) to is ridiculous. Um, But he's saying, like, well, maybe you would have, like, not been so reviled amongst people in both parties, like not just the Democrats. You had a lot of Republicans are like, "Oh God, this guy's talking again." Yeah, and he says this in response to talking to Rick Santorum, like, "Hey, I know you have a child that you know has special needs, and, and like you found out that this was probably going to be the case while the child was still, you know." Technically a fetus and w- wasn't even born in yet. Utero, yeah. And he's like, let's talk about that for a second. And so this obviously is an argument that makes no sense from a legal standpoint. But after he said it, I was like, at least I understand that you have reasoning behind it as opposed to just being a dick. And <laughs> he's talking about like, when, why are you still in favor of abortion? Or sorry, excuse me. Still uh, against abortion, even in cases it might be a threat to the woman's life. Mm -hmm. Also against it in terms of uh, rape. And he goes, well, I feel that the fetus has legal rights. And Axelrod asks him, well, why is that? Like, there's nothing, like, legally that defines that. And he goes, well, I understand that, but I've always taken it from the Declaration of Independence that we have a, a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, there's no legal standing, but at least when I heard that, it was like, oh, okay. At least now I can kind of understand that there's rationale behind it, as opposed to you just being a you know stick in the mud. Yeah, and, you know, just saying he feels that the right of the woman should not supersede the right of the unborn child. Okay, that's your opinion, and that's cool. And now you actually have something to it, as opposed to just vilifying women for wanting to get abortions. And another cool thing that Axelrod did was he pushed back when, uh, Santorum was like, well, my wife and I prayed and that we you know, both agreed that this was your know, God's will. And Axelrod goes, well, it didn't hurt that you and your wife were both professionals who had the means to take right. care of said child. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's a good point. And this is again, where it's like, we kind of hit, <laughs> Not we, but you get these snags with people. Where you're like, oh, "Okay, we've established a connection." Where it's like, "No, I, I do agree that everyone should have a right to, you know, decently priced health care and to earn a living wage." But I guess if we circle this way back around to Bernie Sanders, how are you going to get there? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah, because uh, we have a really hard time. Um ensuring life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness once you're outside the womb. hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah. And to which I always want to go, cool, so you're all for single-payer health care then, right?
1: That's right, Medicare for all.
0: <laughs> when I was doing that same uh, internship at the Chamber of Commerce, and uh-huh. one of my projects was working on a plan that allowed small businesses to pool their employees together to get them insurance policies that were equal to like a medium sized employer. Okay. And I was talking about this with um, somebody who was higher up, and I was sort of describing a single payer healthcare system where, you know, basically saying, well, you know, if the employer didn't have to worry about this, this would spur entrepreneurship because if everyone has access to the same healthcare then the best employees will flow, well, they should flow, to the companies where they can choose to more easily. And if they're not, like, I work for a huge company. So, mm-hmm. I may mean, not get paid great, but my benefits yeah. are excellent.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that keeps me there. Like, apart from my boss being wonderful, one of the things is, well, you know, I hear about how much other people to pay for the same prescription. I'm like, I pay... A quarter of that, maybe less. Right. I'm going to stick with this. I've had like four or five doctor's appointments and blood tests and my medical bill was 60 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. So, like, and so I've kind of worked this in the conversation. They're like, well, how would you make that happen? I'm like, well, that's called single, pay- single payer healthcare." Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Like, yeah, Damn it.
1: That's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. And so I would say actually this is something from the bernie sanders the wrong bernie sanders book that i listened to
0: <laughs> yeah, they talked but about it, the same minds just longer wait that yeah, sounds exactly. awful
1: yeah so let's do the the quick and dirty version right <laughs> um, <laughs> it it did discuss that and again it was one of those like oh this is common knowledge things but i don't think people think of it in their in the terms of their own life sometimes It's that employment in the United States is so often dictated by the benefits packages, Mm -hmm. which totally makes sense because insurance is crazy fucking expensive. And people are more likely to stay at a job where they hate everything about it and they hate their boss. But if they have mediocre to decent insurance, they'll stay in that job no matter what. Because it's too much of a risk to try and change jobs, and potentially lose those decent benefits, which sucks. That's terrible, uh-huh. right? Like you shouldn't. It, it. It's almost like you have a gun to your head if you're a person with a family yeah, exactly. and other people to consider. Especially like I live by myself, and so it's just me. I my choices. It's 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 all on my shoulders, right? But for people who have children or. You know, who do have a a family member or a child that does have different needs that require more medical attention? You're going to keep your job as long as those benefits say, "Hey, it's going to be hard to find anything better than this." And it's you're you're basically just holding a gun to somebody's head, like stay in this job that you hate, that makes you depressed, that you're overworked, and you get no vacation but you know what it keeps your prescription drugs at a lower cost. What do you mm-hmm. think that person's going to do? That doesn't that doesn't that's not a healthy economic system, I don't think. No. And for like myself, I have really good benefits. So you work for a very large corporation and you're paid well and you have good benefits. I work for an unbelievably small corporation. There's the owner and four employees. And my boss it, I've stuck with him Not only because my job is pretty good, but because he is such a good boss. And he takes care of my premium in a lot of, like, I think it's up to 75%, he told me a couple years ago. So he works really, really hard as Mm -hmm. a small business owner to try to keep good employees and make sure we are taken care of. But I feel like that is an unnecessary burden upon him as a business owner who's trying to be entrepreneurial and expand his business and, you know, take care of everything, you know, why, why, why is that burden upon him?
0: I feel like I have two points here and kind of what will happen if we do this to businesses, if we tax them this much, that the small business owner and the medium business owner are the ones that are actually getting screwed no matter what.
1: And they're being used
0: as a kind of a bargaining chip or just even a hostage, to go back to your analogy, (laughs) where it's, um, well, do you really want to screw these people over? Like, no. Uh, Well, then you have to give us corporate welfare. What? That doesn't make any sense. I think both conservatives and progressives are having the same kind of conversation for a second, where it's everyone should have access to good quality affordable health care mm-hmm. and then somewhere in the middle it's insurance jumps in there. you know someplace and insurance seems to be this kind of I don't want to say countervailing but this sort of convalescence of the like where everyone hates it it's like well this is the only way to do it is through insurance and so yes I think throwing people off of insurance is a terrible idea. But I also think that we should find a way to make sure that people's health care is not defined by their access to good health insurance Mm
1: -hmm.
0: as opposed to actual health care. And this is where, like, I guess I have many libertarian friends who will never agree with me on this. No matter how many times I still make this point where I sneak it in there about... Hey, I've worked for a uh, organization that advocates for small business, and this seems to sound good. Like, uh, oh crap, it is for with a uh, single payer. You sure did. <laughs> like, let's, let's...
1: Oops, we keep tripping over that <laughs> single payer.
0: Because <laughs> I think that would get you know drug costs down. Because I think right now, we, like, again, this is a point where I agree with Bernie Sanders that. If prescription drug companies weren't allowed just to go, well, they've got insurance to pay for it, and government will chip in. Whatever it doesn't matter if we charge a thousand dollars a pill, right? Um, if that were to say go away, and like the the incentive for the insurance company to just keep charging more and more money wasn't there, I think, oh yeah, costs would probably drop. Mm-hmm. But I and- guess uh, that's where I'm like. But what's your actual health care plan look like, Bernie, other than this is how Canada does it. Canada's great. Okay. Maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> some, But but the thing is, we also have to keep in mind that some of those systems that we look to as like a model or admire in a lot of ways, like some of those systems are still very, very flawed. Yep. Like the national health care system in the U.K., um, is still susceptible to budget cuts and its budget was cut in the last couple of years. Uh So it is very quickly running out of money right now. I don't think it's hit the public yet in the sense that I think British citizens still receive pretty much free healthcare wherever they need to go, whether that's to just the doctor for a cold or to go to the ER for something catastrophic. And And in some other countries, like, in I've I've heard, and I don't know a whole lot about this, so I'm going to say this with an asterisk next to it. What? I've heard that... (laughs) I'm not a journalist, Noel.
0: (laughs) Or, like, even if you were a journalist, like, no journalist would claim to be an expert on everything. What you're saying is you're not a uh, pundit or the president of the United States of America. Okay.
1: No, because then I would say whatever the fuck I want with absolute (laughs) confidence and no one could question me. Um, But I've heard like in countries like France um, and even even in Canada, there's been some moves to privatize parts of its national health care system in an effort to help cover some of its expanding costs. So there's still a lot of problems out there with socialized medicine or Mm -hmm. a single payer program which I feel like is a name that Americans are much more comfortable with because for some reason we still hate socialism. Like that's such a dirty word in this country. Um, but at the Even same time- Even though our military loves it. <laughs> and we've been socialists since the 1930s. Hello, social what? security. No. Um, <laughs> um It's. But our, 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 I, I think there's two major players in our healthcare system. And I think it's the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies. And I think Mm -hmm. most people would agree with that. These are two two sectors of business that make billions of dollars in profits and have massive amounts of lobbying power in Washington, DC. And I think on top of that, they've been able to spin the idea over the last couple of decades that the real bad guys in this system are the hospitals and the doctors, the people on the front lines who are actually trying to provide actual medical assistance to people. And I see that day-to-day at my job, working at an eye doctor's office. It doesn't happen very often. I would say 99% of the patients who come in are amazing people, and I'm happy to work with them, and they're very kind and very... Just respectful or uh, just respectful. I did not say disrespectful, <laughs> though. I realized I heard just respectful.
0: So I okay,
1: just J-U-S-T respectful. <laughs> They're good people. But every now and then I'll get somebody come, coming into the office and I will say, well, these are your co-pays and your insurance doesn't cover this. So this is going to be your total today. And they'll roll their eyes and say, you're just trying to screw me out of more money. And it's like, (laughs) my doctor (laughs) owns one business and (laughs) all he cares about is taking care of his patients. That's, that is, I can, I can swear on a stack of Bibles. That is what he cares about. He as a person still has to pay his bills. He still has to pay the lease on the mm-hmm. property for which we have our office in. He still has employees whose paychecks he has to, you know, have not bounce. But that somehow in this the doctors have become the bad guys, and I hear that often enough that I think that's part of the problem, like why people don't don't want to go into socialized medicine or don't want to make any changes to their healthcare system because they think it's the hospitals and the doctors who are trying to you know screw them out of more money and i don't think that's the case at all i think it's the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies because guess what you pay your premium every month if you do not use that throughout the year you just donated two thousand dollars to the insurance company yep if you do not go see your doctor or do anything within one year your entire premium is free money to the insurance company. That's it,
0: and it's going to go up too. So you just... and it's
1: and it keeps going up, and it's gone up by a thousand percent in our lifetime. null. Mm-hmm. like it's gone up by such astronomical amounts. That's why the Affordable Care Act actually got passed. However, the problem was it didn't negotiate prices, and it just forced everybody to buy into this system where we're giving free money to the ph- pharmaceuticals and the insurance companies, and that's it. And most of the time, when your doctor bills a, a service to the to the your insurance company, they're getting paid thirty cents on the dollar. No wonder prices go up. Mm-hmm. No wonder bo- hospitals have to way overcharge on stuff because you know if if you go in for you know an an overnight stay at the hospital, the hospital is only going to get reimbursed a third of it, assuming that you've already met your six thousand dollars deductible.
0: And now I've gone way too in the weeds, even further.
1: I was going to say, I, 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 every, everything you just said, I feel like I have a response to, but I, it was like too much at once.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: Like, uh, no. It's a lot. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. But it is a lot to unpack there. And we are and at uh, about an
0: hour and 30. So it's, uh, are we? Yeah. Shit. I'm Sorry, h- I
1: pulled out my soapbox about healthcare. So. Oh, you're, you're,
0: you're good. Yeah, that's actually pretty good, too, since you know it's something you work in. So it's like, oh, this is really cool.
1: I I do have a good thing of the week. If okay. you want to go through yeah. that, great. Let's do if that. not, we, we can do it. Okay, because I'm pretty excited about my good thing of the Let's week. Let's do it. Okay, so my good thing of the week is kind of a good thing for the past two weeks. As I've said on other episodes, I really admire the work of Brian Stevenson and his organization, the Equal Justice Initiative. And this is a really big month for them. And so that's my my good thing. So uh, EJI, they focus on assisting people eaten up by the criminal justice system. They focus on uh, wrongful convictions, especially people put on death row for crimes they didn't commit, and also keeping children and the mentally ill out of the criminal justice system. They've been around for, I think, 20, maybe 20, almost 25 years now, based out of uh, Montgomery, Alabama. The last couple of years, they've branched off, and they've had a couple of other projects going on. And um, this was featured on 60 Minutes last Sunday with um, Oprah uh, interviewing Brian Stevenson. So first piece of news, I, uh, I didn't know Oprah was on 60 Minutes.
0: <laughs> I didn't either.
1: No, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, so she does an interview with him because this week, April 26th, so on Thursday... The Equal Justice Initiative is having their opening ceremonies for their, what they're calling their Legacy Museum, and also the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And these, the museum and the memorial focus on the history of lynching in the United States. And this is a very, very long time project that they've been working on. And... Just the fact that they were able to do this as a nonprofit organization through donations and set up a museum and also a memorial for the victims of lynching between basically the Civil War and into the 1960s and unfortunately even closer up to our present day is my good thing of the week. And I'm very excited and very um, intrigued by their work that they've done. So the museum goes through the history of uh, the Civil War or post-Civil War and um, the, the terror inflicted upon African-Americans after enslavement to keep them subjugated. And then the National Memorial for Peace and Justice is uh, it's actually quite large, it's a, it's a large memorial. It's kind of an art piece that you're able to walk through and it has um, the names and dates of all the known lynchings that they were able to find throughout the years. They've documented, I think it's between 3,000 and 4,000 lynchings um, using uh, archival research information and newspaper clippings and, you know, old documents and stuff. They're trying to catalog all of the known lynchings of a Black person in the United States in the last century and a half. and. Uh, I think that's a a, a very honorable uh, pursuit, and uh, they have their opening gala this week. so that's my that's my good thing of the week is the EJI being um, shown on sixty minutes and their the openings of the museum and
0: memorial. That is quite the endeavor that's yeah, very good. <laughs> um, to the point that I was trying to think of like something. The entire time for, like, my good thing of the week, which I've got a few, but, like, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I can't think of any, like, of any significance other than, like, hey, I enjoyed this show that I watched, or, like, this show's coming it's, on TV, it's good. or I read this book. It's like, <laughs> <Sounds>
1: good. <laughs> it's a good thing of the week. There's no qualifiers. That's right. What's, it's, it's cool. What's your good thing of the week, Noel? Do you have uh,
0: one? Can I just go with, because it's, like kind of easy now but the cecile richards thing that was pretty that's awesome great. just to see her speak and um yeah there's the whole thing like every point she made like that's pretty cool that's pretty cool and it was very inspiring um she's very funny <laughs> one of my favorite parts was she told her story of when she met uh we don't hear about them in the news much anymore but javanka and how <laughs> she went to this meeting and one of Trump's country clubs in New Jersey with her husband and both Jared and Ivanka start praising them for the business they run mm-hmm. and stuff and kind of going how if you guys stuff could just things. get away from this abortion thing, like we could all be on the same page.
1: Oh my and gosh. she just said it
0: was so odd. Like that. Oh, and that's uh she got the impression that Jared, didn't really know that that was her husband. Like that was her boss and kept like pitching things to him. Mm. So it was, I, I don't know if her book tour is done. Cause she was flying to Austin two weeks ago when uh, she was out here. But yes, uh-huh. um, I believe that isn't her book. As Again, as I said, I haven't read it because I'm behind, but yeah, make trouble by Cecile Richards. If you can catch the book tour, do it. It's, it's worth cool. your while. The, uh, Cost of mission for two includes the book. So that's nice. it's pretty good. Um yeah, cool. So with that we'll oh, uh real quick. Oh, yes, let yes, me, yes, yes. Let
1: me I'm sorry, let me circle back. So
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about the Equal Justice Initiative and what they do, their website is eji.org. You can um, send any donation amount that you want, find out more about their museum and their memorial and the events coming up this week in Montgomery. Um also, they have a super cool calendar that comes out every year, and you get it for just even a five dollar donation that documents um, the struggle of racial equality in our country. EJI.org org cannot cannot promote it enough. So no. that's my plug.
0: <laughs> Not at all. I mean, the fact that they're trying to do just that task alone, with mm-hmm. say like a five dollar donation for a calendar, yes, that's crazy.
1: Just five dollars. Just five dollars. They're a nonprofit. Um, it's it's unbelievable the amount of work and passion and commitment that these people have. It's it's really inspiring, especially in a time where the last couple of years everybody's bitching about Confederate monuments being taken down they're putting up a different type of memorial. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's really intriguing and inspiring and thought provoking and everybody should check it out.
0: Definitely. And with that, we actually have a good ending point. So uh, thanks for talking to the show and we'll uh, make this work somehow. (laughs) Hopefully not have another uh, three weeks between podcasts.
1: Hopefully not, but we'll see.
0: We'll see. All right. Okay.